Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show. Our topic today is yoga for every body, mind, and spirit. When we truly understand yoga as a path to self and God realization, rather than relying on any particular physical ability, we realize that yoga's physical, emotional, and spiritual benefits really are for everyone, and that everyone should have access to yoga's transformative potential. I'm joined today by the perfect person to talk about this with, IAYT certified yoga therapist and yoga teacher, Jeevana Heyman, author of the book we will be discussing today, Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Everybody. Jeevana Heyman is the founder and director of Accessible Yoga, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing access to yoga teachings. Jeevana is co-owner of the Santa Barbara Yoga Center and an integral yoga minister. Over the past 25 years, he has led countless yoga teacher training programs around the world and dedicates his time to supporting yoga teachers who are working to serve communities that are underrepresented in traditional yoga spaces. Jeevana Heyman is also active on Facebook, at Jeevana Heyman, and at Accessible Yoga Project, and also on Twitter, at Accessible Yoga. Welcome, Jeevana Heyman. I'm delighted to be with you on the Yoga Hour today. Mm, thanks for having me, Laurel. I'm happy to be here. Before we begin our dialogue about yoga for every body, mind, and spirit, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Oh. So let's begin just by bringing ourselves fully present. So whatever, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, just bring your attention to your body in space. Feel your body as it touches all of the surfaces that may be supporting it, whether you're standing, walking, sitting, driving, just feel your body in space. And then bring your attention to your breath. And just notice as you take a fully conscious breath, as you inhale and exhale. As you inhale, feeling the belly soften and expand and the chest raise. And as you exhale, feeling the chest and body and belly relax. 
Feeling the cool air entering the nostrils on the inhale and the warm air flowing out. And as we rest here, right where we are, here is something to contemplate. Writings about the new year by Paramahansa Yogananda taken from Inner Culture in January of 1937. The new year has come to greet you with new hopes, new determination, new will to achieve, new activities. In the temple of the new year, renew your reverence for the unlimited hidden power of God within you. The trails of trials and the yawning chasms of woe have been left behind in the dark night of the past. Now you are entering the daylight of a newborn hope of the new year. Cast off the coil of the decayed thoughts of past years. Be reincarnated into vital living of the new year. Let every day in the new year become a step upward on the ladder of your self-realization. Make every day of the new year a better day than the previous one for greater effort to succeed in business, family happiness, and increasing the ever new joy, got contact of God in meditation. The old year has gone, but the new year is full of treasures for you to use. Once again, Jeevana Heyman, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I've really enjoyed reading your book, Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Yeah. So how did you become interested in making yoga accessible to all? Mm. Well, I was um, I was actually living in San Francisco in the um, early 90s, and um, I'd come out as a gay man and was surrounded by <clears throat> friends, you know, who had HIV and AIDS. And so I was, I was really mostly working as an AIDS activist at that time, um, demonstrating and really trying to raise awareness around HIV AIDS. And the political conditions at that time were not really great, you know, so there wasn't a lot of attention being given. So I was kind of this angry young guy. And then I, I found yoga for myself and um, realized immediately that I wanted to bring yoga to my um, friends with HIV and AIDS. So that's what I was interested in when I took teacher training. That was the goal, actually, um, was to try to figure out how can I share these practices with people who have who are sick or dying? Because at that point, so many people were dying. I was volunteering at an AIDS hospice and, you know, it was just unbelievable what was happening. Yeah, I was actually really touched by that part of your story because that's actually where and when I was getting my medical training. So I was at UC San Francisco from um, 84 to 88 and then at UCLA from uh, 88 to 91. And so I lived through that too, you know, when, um, you know, we just saw so many uh, young people uh, dying of, um, you know, and, and just tremendous suffering. So I was touched by that. Actually, that's really the point, isn't it? I mean, there was so much suffering, and I, I saw how yoga was really focused on that, you know, relieving suffering. 
Um, and that was really, really compelling to me. It was helping me personally. And I thought, wow, this, this could be really useful for people. Um, obviously, I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't <laughs> do more than that. But mm-hmm. um, at least I could share yoga. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. So fast forward to now and your book is being released. And uh, what led you to write the book at this time? Um, I, I'm not sure. I think I, I'm just a yoga teacher at heart and I'm looking always at like, how can I share the teachings as, as widely as possible. So, um, I use every format I can find and mostly I lead yoga trainings for, you know, to train yoga teachers. Um, but I thought it would be great to try and offer something for the general public that people could, um, use, especially people who aren't interested in going to a yoga class or might be intimidated by that idea that, you know, right. they could use something at home. So a book felt like a good format for a, to, to begin a home practice or encourage people to um, practice on their own. And, and also, I really wanted to offer something to balance out the kind of maybe the misconceptions about yoga and just offer different ideas and images of what yoga can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the really wonderful things, you know, about the book is, um, you know, the photos that you have of people and you really, um, what's the quote that's on the front? Because I thought it was great. It was, um, uh, oh, no, it's the one about removing fear, you know, because I guess it's from the uh, inner part of the book. But, um, you know, how it is is a, a fearful prospect for people if the image of yoga that they have is, you know, some very thin, very flexible person who's on the, you know, cover of a yoga magazine that you see in the grocery store, and your your first thought is, I can't do that, you know, that's yeah. that that can't possibly be for me, and now, you know, so, you know, the 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 um, uh, <clears throat> goal of this show is pretty much the same: is making mm-hmm. yoga, you know, broadening people's understanding of what yoga is. That it really is way, way more than just the, you know, what you see in the line in the grocery store. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's really. I, I think I'm still an activist, actually, at heart. I'm, you know, now my activism has shifted more to maybe um, to to yoga, but just I, I feel strongly that that's not right. You know, it just it really upsets me to see that um, kind of like I said, a mis- misunderstanding or. or misinterpretation of yoga as being only for the physically fit and strong and young and thin. And it's just, it's, it's really, um, concerning to me because obviously, I mean, as you know, I mean, it's a spiritual practice and that's by definition universal. So how can we have a universal practice, but it only can be done in a certain way. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense. Uh, absolutely. So, so in the book, you write that you worked teaching yoga for the Dean Ornish Heart Disease Reversal Program. Um, and when I think about that program, it's always really interesting to me to realize that what people remember from that is the very low fat diet. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all that they remember. That's what was written about, you know, in the media and all, which, you know, that's fine. But, you know, it actually had yoga, you know, as part of it. And also this, um, these very strong, um, emphasis on support groups. Yeah. And, in, and in fact, you know, I've, I've studied with um, Nishala Joy Davies, so I'm aware that the two most effective parts of the Ornish program were actually those parts, practicing mm. yoga and participating in the support groups. So um, you write that those two things, yoga and community, became the theme of your yeah. work. So how, how do you or did you integrate these two aspects, yoga and community? 
Well, that's great that you studied with Nistula too. She was one of my main teachers and she created that yoga, the yoga portion of that, of the Ornish program and really inspired me. And I mean, the whole program was such a great, it was such a great, like, um, I don't know, coincidence or something, you know, where I had this desire to bring yoga to my community and I had an opportunity to work with him and study with Nistula and, and they showed me how they were doing it. You know, they were bringing yoga into a place where normally it wouldn't be and not into the medical system and, and doing it in such a powerful way. Um, and I agree, I, I, working with them, I saw that the yoga and community building were the key elements to the healing that was going on there. And it was remarkable. Um, you know, his program is really based on yoga and that's, it's such an incredible thing. It's, it's like, here we have the number one killer of, people heart disease and there's this amazing research showing that you know yoga can reverse heart disease it's just mm -hmm. it, it's incredible okay. but i think i think i saw um i saw their work yeah focusing on um accessibility in many ways there's a lot of adapting going on so mm -hmm. that really inspired me and also like like you mentioned the community part they, he had these support groups that would go on um and so Actually, when I started my um, HIV AIDS classes in San Francisco, too, we brought in that support group component. And so we would have longer classes that would start with um, a discussion. And often it would sometimes it would just be checking in, see how people are doing. And sometimes I'd bring in um, yoga teachings. We would read the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali or the Bhagavad Gita and or a quote or something and just try to bring up these concepts and talk about them in a practical way. Um, and people really enjoyed that. And it actually helped me. I saw how it built a stronger container for the practice. People felt more committed to coming when they got to know each other. Yeah. And over time, I saw that people would come to yoga for their friends, basically, to see each other, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you ask a, an interesting, what for me was an interesting and, and painful question in the book, which is who deserves yoga? Mm -hmm. Who deserves yoga? It obviously was interesting just to think about. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but also painful to me because, you know, of course, my answer is everyone deserves yoga. Absolutely everyone. And yet I see uh, yeah. and know that there are so many barriers to everyone having access to yoga because of this limited understanding, you know, of of yoga as just this physical practice. And that is, you know, that's this pretty big barrier. You know, if you don't feel that you can do these, you know, pretzel poses and you're not a thin person and you don't have spandex, you know, are, are you, you know, are you, is that something that, you know, you can see for yourself? And so um, in order to surmount this barrier, you begin with a definition of yoga as a spiritual practice that can be used by anyone at any time, if you know how. Mm -hmm. Yoga is a path of self-exploration, self-study, and self-awareness. So I just thought that was, you know, that was great. You know, right at the beginning, toward the beginning of the book, you know, you mm -hmm. talk about yoga as the spiritual practice, yeah. um, and that really is for everybody. So can you expand on that? Say more well, about that. I, I think again, it goes back to my activism, which is that I, I'm really um, concerned about the the culture, and you know, we live in a in a time where there's a lot of um, you know, oppression and marginalization, so groups that don't have access to lots of things. And I think yoga is, is part of that. Yoga has been, in a way, co-opted by um, Western culture. And so just like people don't have access to a lot of, you know, um, 
housing or food or whatever, you know, security, these things, it's also yoga has also been taken away. And I, I think you can't talk about one without the other, that just the culture itself. I mean, to get into it, you have to say we live in this kind of, um, I hate to use the word white supremacist, um, you know, culture, or, you know, there's something um, where any marginalized group, anyone who's outside of that, like even as a gay man, I've, I've experienced a lot of um, challenges and I see the way that culture has made me feel less than or not good enough or that I don't deserve things. And I see that happening for a lot of people who are part of um, marginalized groups. And so I guess I'm, my passion is about trying to explain that um, that's just that's more of a cultural phenomenon. I don't think that's true if you go back and look at um, the teachings themselves. Within the teachings, I mean, there's a lot of different interpretations that have gone through, um, you know, thousands of years and thousands of people. But the teachings themselves, I think, are universal. And I, I guess that's what I just try to connect to is that these universal concepts that everyone deserves to have peace. And that peace of mind is available for us if we know how to practice. And that a physical form is not the key. In fact, that, that's the other thing I find. There's a real disconnect between understanding. We say yoga is a spiritual practice. It's about calming the mind, connecting with the heart. But turning, then we talk turning about, within is turning one of the within. things you say, turning yeah. within. But then we say, oh, but it has to be done by doing this physical form, this mm -hmm. very advanced physical kind of gymnastic practice. And that's just not true. That's just one of the tools. And I think if you look at yoga, there's actually a ton of different tools there. Asana is a really powerful one, um, but it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't need to keep people away. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that's oh, yeah, what for sure. has been used to, in a way, keep people away from yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I was also touched by the fact that Matthew Sanford, you know, wrote the, the um, introduction, not the introduction, the, what the preface or whatever forward, to the book, yeah. forward to the book. And he has been on the Yoga Hour before, oh, such an okay. inspiring you know, person, being a paraplegic and being a yoga teacher and practicing yoga. Um, it's kind of, you know, he was one that I was brought to, that was brought to my mind and thinking about, you know, who can, who, who can yoga do, you know, who can, who can benefit from yoga? Yeah. Who can, you know, who, who deserves yoga, you know, and he's really, along with you, really pushing that boundary, you know, much wider, you know, opening. So. Um, yes. other thing. Um, I just want to say what I love about his work, he talks so much about practicing asana from the inside out. Yes. You know, yes. And that's such a great way to think about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So along the same line, we, you write in the book, you're writing about the correlation between basic human rights and the fundamental teachings of yoga philosophy, which views each person as having a spiritual essence or Atman. So you, you write the idea that every single one of us has an Atman and that there is no differentiation made between the Atman of any two people, regardless of their ability or background. And again, I'm just going to read that again. <laughs> There's no differentiation made between the Atman of any two people, regardless of their ability or background. Yoga begins with equality as we are all equal in spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and then you go on to quote Shivananda that spiritual life is about seeing the unity and diversity. So I was just, you know, obviously I have studied that as well. You know, this idea that this Atman is, you know, within all of us and that it, there is an, 
you know, it is identical within all of us. And, mm-hmm. um, and you go on to really, um, you know, really tie that to this idea of, of um, human rights. So can you say more about that, the idea of both equality and diversity yeah. and, in yoga and in human rights? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying, I think, about really what kind of drives me here. And that is that I feel like there's this real, um, I don't know what it is, like um, a, a disconnect between the way we perceive yoga and what I understand it to be and the way it's portrayed in the West. I mean, yoga, like I said, it's a, they're universal teachings that are for everyone, and yet they're not seen that way. And I would say that what, what's, what's really... I think the challenge that I see as a yoga practitioner and maybe as a yoga teacher is to balance both of those things because I think you can't go too far on either in either way. Like if you say, oh, yoga means we're all one and you kind of, you can begin to deny people's differences and their challenges and the, and the, um, the truth of the political climate that we live in or the truth of the pain and suffering that people have in their daily lives. And I, so I think, and that, that's called um, spiritual bypassing, you know, when we kind of overemphasize, oh, we're all one, without at the same time saying, but we have completely different experiences. And because of that, we might need different practices, different ways in, or different support. And I think that's what I, that's what I, I think in that chapter I'm writing about um, the disability rights movement. And and that's what I see happening within that that cultural movement, which is to say that, to identify as, having a disability to say I'm different, but, and, and I need special or, you know, I need support mm-hmm. because of that. But that doesn't mean that I'm different than you. We are the right. same. Right. And I guess that's what I'm trying to get at, that we're different and the same at the same time. And I think somehow in our logical minds, we don't want to hold those two um, seemingly opposing ideas, you know, in it. We want to have one way or the other. We're all one or we're all different, but actually... <laughs> It's both. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree yeah. with you there. So um, one of the things that I was touched by is you talk about the, uh, and I, I never know what to say. So disabled community, differently abled, you know, community perhaps is a Actually, better, is a better I'd term. Like to, I'd like to talk about that a bit because I think that's important. I think um, people with disabilities um, can choose however they want to be identified as. And, and there's really a movement these days towards um, identification as disabled. So the, um, often we could say the disability community, but if someone wants to say I'm disabled, that's that's okay these days. Yeah. You know, they have a choice. Everyone can choose their own identity and the way they want to refer to themselves. I would say things like differently abled are not really um, that helpful because in a way that's kind of denying the truth of people's challenges, yeah. Yeah. having a disability. Most people want to just say it, you know, like right. to, to claim your difference is actually right. healthy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, has a power to it. Yeah. So the the um, those with disabilities, then you talk about as being the largest minority yeah. <laughs> that, there, that there is, which I thought was just yeah, that was a great over is a, just a, a great people in the world who yeah. identify as having a disability. That's uh, almost I think it's something like one in five people identify as having a disability. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but it's a very diverse community. I mean, that's the thing about it. The disability community is completely what we call intersectional, meaning that, you know, every disability cuts across every, um, you know, race, economic status, um, religion, everything, right? So it's it's incredibly diverse community. Therefore, there's not a lot of political power there, but there's there's a lot of people. There's yeah. a, a lot of people. 
So turning to karma yoga, which is one of the four, you know, main uh, classical types of yoga, karma yoga is the yoga of service, selfless service. Uh, it's a path of uh, unity through selfless service. And then the other, just to mention briefly, the other three classical paths of yoga are bhakti yoga, or the path of unity through love and devotion, jnana yoga, or the path to unity through knowledge and study, and raja yoga, the path to unity through uh, meditative uh, practices. So talking about karma yoga, though, this yoga of selfless service, what role do you see for karma yoga to bring our spiritual practice into the world? And perhaps particularly, you know, what's been your experience with that? Mm. Well, it's great that you asked that because I, I think you picked up on something, uh, you know, in my work, which is that I'm really passionate about that, about karma yoga. That's in fact, I, that's going to be the topic of my next book that I just ah. started working on, um, <laughs> which is really what is, what does that mean? What is yoga service? And mm. it's not really what most people think of. I don't think, I mean, there's now this category of yoga service, which is yoga teachers who bring yoga to marginalized communities, you know, who yoga teachers who go teach in a prison or something that's called yoga service, but that's not what I'm talking about as much. I'm talking about what you're saying, which is traditionally within yoga, the yoga teachings, you learn that to put the philosophy and the teachings into practice is to do karma yoga, mm -hmm. right? To try to work with your own ego and your own attachments to be able to be in the world in a way where you're free from that. You're mm -hmm. free from the, um, kind of the selfishness that is the nature of our, you know, human minds. And I think that, that to me is ultimate yoga practice and maybe the most challenging one, but also the most practical. So again, there's a, there's a paradox there where it's the most challenging, but really the most practical, something that we're doing daily. And actually so many people are doing it and they don't realize that they're the yogis. You know, like I, I think of just so many people in service industries, teachers, caretakers, nurses, doctors, you know, who just do so much service, you know, and pretty much everyone does some kind, and yet they don't realize they're doing yoga, you know, they're practicing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, and with that. Yeah, by loving, by loving people and taking care of them. Yeah. Exactly. And with that, we've come to the break. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Jeevana Hamid, yoga therapist, yoga teacher, and author of the book we're discussing today, Accessible Yoga. You can find out more about Jeevana Heyman and Accessible Yoga at their website, accessibleyoga.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about how yoga really is for every body, mind, and spirit. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. Living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back from the break. My guest today is Jeevana Heyman 
the founder and director of Accessible Yoga, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing access to yoga teachings. I also wanted to mention briefly, and, and we'll get a chance to talk about it in a little bit, um, but Accessible Yoga's upcoming summit, Evolution of Yoga, Evolution of Yoga Summit, Raising Questions, Exploring Possibilities, Inviting Change which will be from March 20th to 22nd in Los Angeles, California. You can find out more about the summit and about Jeevana Heyman at accessibleyoga.org. So, Jeevana, one of the questions you ask in the book is, what is healing? And, of course, as a physician, that question has always you know, really interested me. So what is healing to you? <laughs> That's a good one. I, um, it's such a big topic, actually, because I think um... – we go immediately to physical healing and I right. think, um, yeah, especially as a doctor, you probably have that experience, you know, people want to be fixed and healed. And I think that there is that, right. We want to have, um, less pain and suffering and um, healthy bodies, but I think healing on a deeper level is something else. And I, I think that's part of spiritual practice is to kind of come to terms with the fact that we're all dying. Mm-hmm. And you think about the fact that you're dying, for a minute um mortality kind of brings some other things up for us which are like wait if my body is going to eventually die can it ever be like perfectly healed is there this perfect way to be in the body and maybe for me healing is more about um being at peace with the my body and my mind you know finding um a way to be in this world and in this human form that is peaceful. And um, I think healing is more that to me. So it's a spiritual connection and um, not just being identified with the body only. Mm-hmm. I think we tend to do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I like the definition of healing as making whole, making whole. which, which you also, you know, talk about in the book as one of the definitions of healing. And mm-hmm. it's that um, it's actually maybe not even making whole, but, you know, getting in touch with our inherent wholeness um, that is, you know, beyond the body. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, because I I know it's possible because I've seen it, you know, is that uh, people can be healed and obviously still die because we all are right. going to die. Um, but it, it is actually really nice to be able to make that differentiation for people who are in the dying process or, you know, getting yeah. close to the end of their life. And instead of feeling like, oh, it's impossible, you know, I'll never, I'll never be healed is no, it's absolutely possible. And you can be healed, you know, every, every moment, you know, up until yeah. the last moment, you know, is, is a possibility for healing. So, yeah. In fact, I usually ask people when we, when I talk about this, I ask, well, is, is death a failure? Yeah. You know, and how that's a big one. I mean, if we're all, if we're all going to die, right. How mm-hmm. could it be that illness disability or death any of those things are some kind of failure and i think that's that's again a cultural thing i think where we've in the west we tend to see that as a failure of some kind and and it goes back to what we talked about originally that we all share this um, essence the atman our heart you know we all share that heart and that is whole already Mm -hmm. that's what i love about yoga it's it's actually a very positive practice and philosophy you know if you look at the sutras of patanjali i mean Yoga is presented there as like it's quieting the mind to connect with the wholeness that's already you, right? It's mm-hmm. about getting in touch with something that you already have. It's not gaining anything. It's actually right. stripping away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you do something or get something to be whole or to be healed. It's to connect with yourself. So 
in fact, that's what enlightenment is. That is actually to have the mind totally peaceful, right? And to be completely connected with your true self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, yoga holds that out as a possibility for everyone, which is, you know, which is great. Yogananda was great in that way. You know, I yeah. won't get the quote exactly right, but, you know, he would say, you know, the same, you know, spirit, the same God that is within me is within you, you know, and anything that is possible for me is possible for you. Mm-hmm. So um, just, you know, again, very inspirational. So uh, in your book, Accessible Yoga, you encourage us to adapt poses so that they work for us, which I, I really love that, um, that approach. You, um, as an example, you take cobra pose and encourage us to feel what the pose is trying to do and then alter it to suit our needs. So can you talk our listeners through that process, you know, first with the, you know, the, the kind of mental understanding that you get, you know, of, of feeling what the pose is trying to do, and then realizing this inherent creativity that we all have then to work with that pose? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I think, um, you know, where people get stuck here is often thinking that there is one way to do a pose. And we look at images and we think, oh, I need to do it like that. And right. instead, I mean, I think as a teacher, my job is to help people see that there's an underlying benefit or purpose to a practice like Cobra. So cobra yeah, or pose, even or even worse, if people look at a picture of someone doing like a Cobra pose and say, oh, I'll never be able to well, do yeah. that. So why even try? <laughs> you know, because exactly. it's not going to look like that one, you know? Yeah. In fact, most pictures of Cobra is not something that um, most people should be doing, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the <laughs> imagery right. that we see is actually quite dangerous. Yeah. And, and yeah. to be honest, I mean, I, I, some of those extreme people who are doing those extreme practices are getting injured and that's right. coming up more and more that, um, hypermobility is actually an, a problem in yoga. It's not helpful. Right. Um, so I think we need to change our understanding of what asana is. And asana is really, in my mind, it's about using your body as a spiritual use my body you're do you know you're breaking up just a little bit so why don't you turn off the video um just because um that'll free up the bandwidth and just say what you said again um i say that asana practice um we can learn how to be in the body um in a comfortable way so that we can calm the nervous system and quiet the and then connect with peace that's there within us. So it changes the reason that we're doing asana, I think. Instead of achieving something that feels competitive, um, we're using it for um, our own, our own, whatever purpose that is. It could be to be stronger, to be more flexible, to be more comfortable in the body. So I think of cobra, you asked about that. Um, cobra pose to me is great for expanding the chest, um, strengthening the back, helping with posture. And I think, so for me, I, I would use that pose to work on posture, especially if you're sitting um, at a desk or in, in a chair of any, we tend to slouch and have a lot of flexion in the spine. And so Cobra, for people that don't know what it is, it's, it's a kind of a deep back bend where the spine is bending back and the head is lifting up. So I would suggest if you want which is, to try which it. is norm which is normally done like in a lying you know like face down lying position and yeah. raising up the you know the back and shoulders so yes right so it's normally done on the floor the belly down on the floor people put their hands down on the floor and press their head up but what i would say is just to focus on the spine right now and notice the position of your own spine 
and see if you can um, first exhale and, and just connect with that, connect with how it's feeling at the moment, really settling and grounding. And then as you inhale, see if you can lengthen the spine, just feel the, the body getting taller, the spine lengthening. And let's do that one more time. So exhale, really grounding down to wherever you're seated. And this time, if you're if you have the space, you can inhale, lift the chin just slightly and feel the chest expanding, shoulders opening to the sides, creating length in the spine, especially in the front of the body and the chest. It can be a very small movement that maybe people around you can't even see. Um, and then notice how it is to breathe there for a moment. How does that feel in the body? To take a few breaths and what happens as you're breathing? How, what is the connection between the breath and the movement in your spine? And then as you exhale, you can relax back. Another thing I like to well, do. Well, that yeah. felt great to me. Okay. <laughs> I realized I'm kind of leaning forward to my mic here. So that, yeah. that was really nice for me. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say you can also take it one step further, um, which is that you can practice just in the mind. So, you know, if people want, they maybe later, um, you can think of a pose that you like to do or that you see a picture of, and you can actually close your eyes and picture yourself doing it without actually moving the body at all. And that's a very powerful, it's actually the most powerful and most subtle way to practice yoga is just mentally to do it, but it really takes a lot of mental focus, which can be challenging. Mm -hmm. So you give the, obviously lots of ideas in the book about how to make yoga more accessible. And one of them is the use of props. And I really wanted to talk about this with you because I, I feel like some people in, in some studios really sort of look down on the use of props. Yeah. And yet you point out that one of the biggest props that we all use is the floor. Yeah. So how is the floor a prop? Yeah, I know. It's really a pet peeve of mine that people look down on props. It's just so funny to me. Um, not only is the floor a prop, but so are yoga mats, you know, and how many right. people are using yoga mats? <laughs> exactly. The floor is, is the most common prop that anyone's using. They, we use it for stability. We use it to create pressure and massage on the body in different ways when you're practicing on the floor. Um, a yoga mat we use to create traction, um, you know, and, and resistance. Because if you think about it, if you ever, some people who do practice yoga, if you ever tried to practice yoga on the beach in the sand, you know that it's actually very different and quite challenging. And that shows you really how much a, a traditional floor is different and is a prop, offering resistance and stability that you don't always get in, in the grass or on the sand. Um, so I think it's just important to notice that um, we're all using props and that's okay. Um, to me, um, like, like I was saying, advanced yogi is the person who's at peace with themselves and offering service to the world, not someone who can do some kind of gymnastics. I think gymnastics is great, like for gymnasts. Um, I also think advanced asana is wonderful if that's what you're passionate about, but I don't think that's what asana definitely is. And in fact, one thing I would say about it is to think about um, adapting the pose to your body rather than adapting your body to the pose. I think that's really the key is to shift that way that you're approaching the practice. What do I need for my body? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's wonderful. So one of the ways that props can help us is that they raise the floor. 
Mm -hmm. the idea of raising the floor. So for people who are, you know, seated in a chair using a prop, you know, can help raise the floor um, and also help make connections. So I liked your adaptation of child's pose into a, a seated posture. So would you describe that one for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, again, if we think about child pose, it's really a um, it's a forward bend that offers even a gentle inversion where the head is lower than the heart. And also in, in most versions of the child pose, the forehead is down touching the floor. And that's actually very calming for the nervous system is to have some pressure on the forehead. And you can you can easily do that on the uh, in a chair, either by using a second chair in front of you or using a prop like a bolster or even a blanket on your lap and folding forward over something and trying to rest your head onto either the blanket or a bolster or the chair in front of you. And you can get this nice stretch to the back, make sure you're not straining. You're gonna have the legs wide apart, if that helps to create space for the belly. Um, and you can have that benefit in the chair, which is like I said, this kind of gentle forward bend. This It's kind of like going in that pose. It's about um, like be, being back in a womb, you know, and becoming like a child where we can get energy and care for ourselves. And I think that can be done really almost anywhere that you can gently lean forward and lower the head, even if you can't reach the forehead to something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you're right about how in chair yoga, um, it's a lot about lifting the floor to the person rather than demanding that someone reach the floor all the time. Mm-hmm. Because really the number one thing I hear from people who don't practice is, oh, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. That's just a complete misunderstanding, you know, really of what we're doing. It's not about flexibility. Mm -hmm. And, and so many things that, that you see a picture of or are normally done, um, on the floor can really be done other ways. Um, you know, uh, cat cow, which is usually done on all fours, you know, on your hands and knees can be done, uh, seated. It can be done standing. (laughs) Actually, well, it's funny you mentioned cat cow because, one of the earliest um, asanas that has been found by historians um, is cat-cow, and it was actually being done lying on the floor on the back. Really? Yes. Huh. The image from from probably 2,000 years ago. Wow. Um, that's one of the earliest poses to be found. It's like it's basically like kind of moving the spine in flexion and extension, lying on the back on the floor, which is basically what we do in cat-cow on the hands oh. and knees usually. Right. Uh, you know, so these things have been changing. Um, like over millennia. So I, I think, and, and I, I just want to say, like, when you're adapting practice, I, I want to be respectful to the tradition of yoga. Right. So I don't tell people, oh, you know, remake yoga and then sell it. That's not the point. It's like, make it for yourself so it's useful and that's in alignment with the actual teachings of yoga. Yeah. You know, or, or perhaps just, you know, understand yoga in its larger context, yes. you know, understand yoga and treat it as what it is, which is it's a spiritual practice. It's uh, right. for, for turning inward. Um, so in the book, you give lots of ideas about how to create a home practice. So let's give our listeners a couple of those. So how do you re- recommend that people begin a home practice? Yeah, I, I think what's most intimidating with a home practice is the idea of like a lot of time, you know, that I need, oh, I need to have an hour. And that's just not possible for most people who are beginning. So um, one of the tools I give is something called a um, five-five-five practice, which is it's a little random, but it's something easy to remember. And what I suggest is that you do five minutes of movement, so yoga poses of your choosing, um, five minutes of some kind of breathing practice, which can actually be deep breathing or some of the practices I have in the book, 
and five minutes of either relaxation, shavasana, or meditation. Okay. And what I'm trying to show people in that way is that actually, now that's 15 minutes, which maybe that's even too much time, but if you can carve out 15 minutes in your day, where the, the focus is actually more on the subtle practice. And I think what happens if you have, if you have the capacity to do those subtle practices at home, you'll get more benefit more quickly, right? Because those subtle practices work directly with your nervous system and affect the mind so directly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So one of the other things that you go into is having a home altar. Mm-hmm. And when people think about an altar, lots of times they think about it as, a, you know, like in a church. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> rather than, uh, for me, my altar is a way of um, bringing a little bit of the sacred into my everyday, which is, which feels good to me. Um, but it also is, um, it's a way of, uh, it's a place that I can put, uh, things or pictures that are inspiring to me yeah. that, um, help me connect with whatever, you know, my practice is going to be, if it's meditation or asana. So can you say a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so you can hear my dogs barking. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Um, yes, I think having a, a special place or a sacred place in your home where you can practice is really helpful for um, building a practice. Should I pause? Or just... Yeah, you can go okay. and I'll, I'll say something. So that's great. So um, you certainly can have, if you are a devotional person and uh, you have a, a connection to uh, an image of the divine or something like that. You can have that there, but it can also just be um, something that you love, something that's uplifting, you know, so yeah. a quote or um, flower, uh, light a candle. There's lots and lots of ways of, of uh, making a little sacred space. Yeah. That's what I was trying to get at that a sacred space is really helpful to support a home practice. I, I think um, not for, not necessarily for the reason people think, and that is that it actually will encourage you to practice more. So if you have a space, it could be a very small space, just enough for you to sit or to lie down. Um, it will support you when you're not feeling well. And that's what I think is most beneficial. So if you if you do a home practice and you have an altar, and it can, like you said, it could be um, a few seashells or her flowers or whatever it is, pictures of your people you love, um, a place that you want to go to that supports you and your healing. Um, and then say one day you're not feeling well, you can just go and sit there or lie down there and then it'll actually support you and remind you, oh yeah, this is my special place that I can take care of myself. I think it's, it's part of that self-care, you know, um, which is that in order to be of service to the world, we need to learn how to be of service to ourselves. And self-care is often misunderstood as like spoiling ourselves. And that's not, that's not what it is. It's about taking care, you know? taking care of ourselves. No, a- absolutely. And I like how you talk about it in the book as, you know, reminding us that obviously, you know, we, those who are giving to others, we have to have something to give. And if we are so depleted that our well is empty, that's not really helping anyone. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think there's a tendency in people that are um, generous and caregivers to do that to, you know, and I tend to that too. I tend to like teach, teach, teach and not, take care of myself and practice enough myself. And so for me, it's always a challenge to balance taking care of myself as service to serving others. Both are equally important and both are essential. Um, In fact, some people, like I would say, if someone has, 
I, I had a student with a disability and she said, you know, how do I, how can I offer service to the world? Because most of my time is spent just taking care of my body. I had, and she had extreme fatigue and multiple mm. sclerosis. And I said, taking care of yourself is service to the world. You know, just taking care of yourself, um, doing your practice and making sure that you're, you know, as peaceful as you can be, you will affect all the people around you or people you think of. You could even um, think positive thoughts about other people. That's a great service to the world. You know, you don't have to actually go and like serve physically, right? It can be take care of yourself. Also taking care of ourselves means other people don't have to do that for us, right? So right. Um, not like, causing less harm. If everyone in the world could cause less harm, then there would be a lot of peace. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 a lot more peace. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I did want to give you a chance to describe the upcoming summit, the Accessible Yoga Summit that's coming in March. Um, and yeah. we talked about taking a couple of minutes, two or three minutes to do that now. So what is the summit going to be about? Well, you know, you mentioned um, community building in the beginning, and I, I take that very seriously as my practice um, is to build community within yoga. And and I often tell yoga teachers to do that, to connect with each other. And so I've tried to do that as an organization with our nonprofit Accessible Yoga. We're reaching out to the Yoga Service Council and Yoga Alliance, which is a very large yoga organization. And we're trying to collaborate on bringing together community leaders who work in, um, in areas where there's um, issues that haven't been addressed in yoga up to now, including accessibility, of course, but also cultural appropriation, mm. racism, and consent, and the lack of consent in yoga. And so we'll be addressing these four tracks, these four areas of concern um, in person at the summit in, at Loyola Marymount University um, in March. And it's an ongoing project. And like I said, it's it's my, my focus to begin to bring together the yoga community to address these areas that I feel like have been ignored, right? And, yeah. and have need to be addressed for our own healing, I think, as a yoga community. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds really lovely. And I wish you all the success in the world at the upcoming summit. And we have about, uh, let's see, about a minute and a half left. So what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with, with our listeners? Mm. I, w- I would say that... Um, you know, to to make yoga your own, to make your own, to make spiritual practice your own. I think that's the message that I want to share with people is that use the teachings to help you find something that you need in your life, you know, to find that peace that's there. So I would say don't be afraid to be creative and have fun. Um, that's to me what spirituality is. Actually, the way spirituality shows up in the world to me is through create creativity and fun. Um, and so those, those elements can come into your practice. Your asana practice might mean dancing around. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. okay. So that's yeah. my, my message is to enjoy, enjoy yoga. You know, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of it. It's okay. Absolutely. Don't be afraid. There's, uh, I think it's in the Gita, it has a verse about um, even a little bit of this practice of mm-hmm. yoga removes great fear. Yeah. So um, we... Want we wish that for all of our listeners out there. Yeah. And with that, we've come to the end of the show. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and we've been discussing yoga is for everybody, 
Mind, and Spirit with Jeevana Heyman, author of the book we've been discussing today, Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Everybody. You can find out more about Jeevana Heyman and the organization he founded, Accessible Yoga, at accessibleyoga.org. Thank you so much for this conversation, Jeevan. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Laurel, and for all the work you're doing. I really, really appreciate it. Mm. Join us for our next program next week when my guest will be teacher and author Ganilla Norris for a conversation titled Inviting the Silence, a Doorway to the Power of Kindness. Now that we are in winter, a time that really calls us within, calls us to draw our energy within, how can daily practice of a little bit of silence nurture a deeper awareness of kindness as a path to self-realization? The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. CSE World Headquarters is located in San Jose, California, where worship services, meditation instruction, and Kriya Yoga teachings and initiation are regularly offered. Teachings are offered globally through online programs, outreach, and publications. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producer, Ann Hayes, CSE's global media outreach manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.